0: Joseph Bailey knew the pain of losing a child. He lost a baby at 18 days old after a surgery. He lost a child at five years old with leukemia. And at 18 years old, he had a son who was a hemophiliac in a sledding accident. And with complications buried him as well, he knew the heartbreak of the waves of trouble and distress and grief falling on the shores of your heart. Carl Jung stated about children that of all the deaths that of a child is. Most unnatural and hardest to bear. He says it is a period placed before the end of a sentence. What a picture. Period placed before the end of a sentence. When we think of children, we think of learning to, to, to walk and we think of lots of energy and We think of lots of questions and lots more questions, and we think of sunshine and rainy days and bicycles and trick or treating, baseball uniforms and little cheerleader outfits. As we think about the death of a child, we ask ourselves the question how would Jesus respond? And that's exactly what we find in Luke chapter 7. So take your Bibles this morning and take your uh, Bibles as as we continue in our study in Luke and turn with me to Luke 7, Luke chapter 7. And we're going to pick up together in verse number 11. Luke 7 and verse number 11. It says, afterward, he was on his way to a town called Nain. His disciples and a large crowd were traveling with him. And just as he neared the gate of the town, a dead man was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. A large crowd from the city was also with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, don't weep. Then he came up and touched The open coffin and the pallbearers stopped and he said, young man, I tell you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Then fear came over everyone and they glorified God saying, a great prophet has risen among us and God has visited his people. This report about him went throughout all of the other cities as well. With that, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and for your truth today. And God, I pray that you would take these next moments as we open your word, that you would speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Many of us have been in a funeral procession We have placed a funeral tag on our rear view mirror and turned on our flashing lights and followed a hearse as it went to a cemetery, going in procession. Here in the city of Nain, there is a widow who has a son, one son, her only son. Being a widow, she would have relied on her son to be her protector and provider as she entered into her older years and this son dies and now there is a funeral procession in the city of Nain as they are entering the city gate to go outside the gate for the burial. At the same time, there is a procession coming into the city of Nain. Jesus has just done a miracle in the city of Capernaum. He has taken a centurion's servant And healed him. And now Jesus has traveled the 25 miles from Capernaum to Nain. It is probably late in the day. And as the funeral procession is going out, Jesus and his procession are coming in. We get the picture of a family mourning death encountering the giver of life. And we find in this story that Jesus is going to bring this young man to life and that Jesus is going to work. And ultimately, Jesus is going to show us that he has power over any distress we feel or death that is faced. Jesus has all power. But as we look at the end of these verses, after Jesus does the miracle, The people begin to proclaim that a prophet has risen among us and God has visited us. And so this morning, I want us to kind of start from the end in their reaction of who Jesus is and then go back to the beginning and look at this narrative with the eyes of recognizing who Jesus is. I want us to give us three awesome and wonderful truths to think about. First is this. As we face challenges, difficulties, trials, even grieving in our life, we know this. Number one, Jesus is here. Jesus is here. When Jesus had done this miracle, the people began to, to say, a prophet has risen among us. In other words, for us, it is the prophet has come. Jesus has come. Now, Jesus not only was a prophet who was preaching and proclaiming the truths of God and driving home the truths to point the way of salvation, but Jesus was a genuine prophet after the prophets Elijah and Elisha in showing that he had power over death. In 1 Kings chapter 17, Elijah has been taken care of by a widow in Zarephath. This small city uh, uh, with an with a unnamed widow there, and her son dies. And guess what? Elijah is able to bring this son back to life. The prophet has come. And then in 2 Kings chapter 4, Elisha has a Shunammite woman who has a room prepared for him and has helped to take care of him. And he's out in the field one day and he begins to cry, my head, my head. And the servants are told, take him to his mother. And his mother then cries out to Elisha. And Elisha comes and takes this deceased, lifeless, breathless body and brings new life and brings about a resuscitation When people are saying the prophet has come, what they are saying is, wow, this guy is something. Now, this would be part of the same crew that would ultimately reject him as Messiah. But at this point in his ministry, they would recognize this guy speaks and acts with great power. The prophet has come. But not only do we find that the prophet has come, but we find they say God has visited. God has visited. Now, when we think about this phrase, God has visited, we rec- recognize in Matthew when the angel comes to Joseph, he proclaims his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And as we look in Luke chapter 1 and we think about Zacharias, who is the father of John the Baptist, and after he finds out John the Baptist, is is, uh, his, his wife Elizabeth is pregnant and John the Baptist is going to be the forerunner to the Messiah, he begins to share the truths about John the Baptist and this awesome song of praise after John is born. And he says this in Luke 168. Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. Then in Luke 178, it says, because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us. We in in the other versions, it normally says the day spring from on high will visit us. The picture is, is that Zacharias, even with the birth of John the Baptist and knowing he was going to be the forerunner of Jesus, saying, look, God's planning a a redemption for his people. God has visited us. Can I tell you today, Emmanuel? God with us, if we know Christ in our life, God is with us. And when we walk through challenges in big ways and in small ways, we know he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And even when we face the challenges of life and we don't even understand them, but we look back, we see, wow, God was at work there. Mark and Amy Beth Dormeyer were on vacation in South Dakota just a few weeks back at the beginning of June. And uh, there they are in South Dakota with their, uh, their three kids. And when they were there, they uh, had a, a VRBO booked, and it was kind of out in western South Dakota, kind of in the middle of nowhere. And their reservation at the vacation rental by owner, their, their VRBO reservation dropped on them late in the afternoon. Now, they had 11 people with them. Five children, four adults, and two grandparents. So you've got five kids, you know, four parents and two grandparents. You've got a group of 11. And so Mark is on the phone with VRBO trying to find a place. They're out in the middle of nowhere in South Dakota. It is now after 4 o'clock, and they're wondering what to do. And Amy Beth comes up with the idea, what if we called the next... VRBO, or the next house we're supposed to stay at, and we'll just call and see what they have. They call, and the lady uh, at the house where they're supposed to stay says, that house is booked for tonight. But I do have another house that I rent out as well, but there were people who just left today, so it's not clean yet. But she said, look, we'll get to work and we'll get cleaning it, and you're a couple hours away, so about 6 o'clock in the evening, they take off... Toward Custer, South Dakota, where they are now going to have to stay aggravating your vacation home has dropped You have 11 people mark is pacing and pacing and wondering what am I going to do? And the only thing they want to vrbo wants to do is just refund their money and it's like no We need a place to stay They get there and the owner is there her uh, And her husband and her daughter and they're cleaning sheets and, you know, changing the bed and vacuuming, doing all those kind of things. And so now it is after 8 o'clock, they finally get some food, they get everything cleaned up, they get settled down, they put the kids to bed, they go to bed. And at 3 a.m., their youngest, Seely is in some kind of distress, breathing. And while she is in distress at 3 a.m., they, they know They've got to go to the ER. They Google the closest emergency room, and there is one three miles away. They were two hours from, they were going to be two hours away out in the middle of nowhere. And yet, through the circumstances and the aggravation they end up with a VRBO uh, that, that is two hours away and it has inconvenienced them and it bugs the stew out of you when you're on vacation and things like that happen. And now you got a sick child and it's 3 a.m. and they take her to the emergency room three hours away. Mark, interesting enough, said that... Uh, The lights at the emergency room were off and the nurse was out walking the parking lot for, you know, just to get some exercise. And so anyway, they turn the lights on in the emergency room, they get the nurse in there and they get going, they get breathing treatments, they realize or believe that she has a a virus of some sort. So Mark, the next morning after it's a decent hour, he texts the owner of the VRBO and just says, hey, we're in the emergency room. And she says, okay, what room are you in? He says, we're in room two. About two minutes later, she walks into the room where Mark and Amy Beth and Celie are. Mark's like, what are you doing here? And she says, I'm a lead physician at this hospital. Can I tell you? you, you look at that and it has all the markings of a moment of aggravation and changing plans and difficulty. And yet, what do you find? God visits us that in ways of of even inconvenience. This is not just coincidence. This is the sovereign and providential hand of God that said, Look, if they're gonna have an issue, they're not gonna have one two hours away out in the middle of nowhere. Instead, they're gonna have one three miles away from the hospital. And matter of fact, we're gonna give them a house where they can stay where the lead physician one of the lead physicians at the hospital will be there as well. What a picture. They were there for a couple days, and Mark had texted Pastor Jerry and myself, and we were praying, and then after a couple days, they were back on their way. I tell you, God moves. God is in control. And sometimes we don't take the reflective and introspective time to look back at our life and to recognize God has visited. God worked in that inconvenience. God in his providential hand showed his strength. Jesus is here. The second truth that we find is not only Jesus is here, but Jesus is here watching. Jesus is here watching. Now, notice with me down in verse number 13. Down in verse number 13. It says that the, the large crowd from the city was with her at the end of verse number 12, and then verse 13. When the Lord saw... can I tell you Jesus sees our struggle he sees our struggle He knows what's going on. He knows the hurt that we feel. He knows the challenges that we're going through. He knows the pain that we feel. He knows maybe the hurts that no one else has experienced or no one else can relate to. Jesus sees. And the word that is used for the word the Lord saw her was not just like he took a passing glance. Instead, it's he saw her and saw and was going to get involved. The Lord saw her. Then notice what it says. The Lord saw her and he had compassion on her. The Lord feels our pain. The Lord feels our pain. He had compassion on her. The word compassion comes from the Greek word. And I I think this is a kind of a cool word in Greek. It's the word splunkna, splunkna. It gives the picture of intestines or bowels. The splunkna. And when Jesus is saying he had compassion, it's actually the word "splunknizomai" that Jesus is is moved deeply down in his gut. That Jesus has this empathy and compassion and sympathy for her in this circumstance and in this situation. And he feels it down deep. Have you ever had those moments in your life where you felt someone else's pain deeply? Where you where you hurt so deeply with someone else that, that it just viscerally moved you. And you, you felt it physically, not just emotionally. In 2000, we were up in Missouri visiting our family uh, for Thanksgiving. And I got a call on Thanksgiving morning. Uh, Actually, I got a call from my mom that said, hey, you've had two or three calls from the church. I was pastoring in Mississippi at the time. You've had two or three calls from the church in Mississippi. You may need to call somebody down there. So I called somebody down there. Come to find out. A 32-year-old man, he was the same age as me. He was a month, he's a month younger than me. And his two-year-old daughter, Rodney, and his daughter, Anna, were in a car accident, just running up the road to the grocery store to get a last-minute something for Thanksgiving. They were hit and killed instantly. We drove back the next day and to see that family there were seven children, now six children and a young mom to walk through and there were twin boys that were the same age as Joel at that time and to be there in the visitation with the family and to watch that young mom walk these two three-year-olds down to look at their dad and their little sister and then the funeral and I. Before the funeral, she had asked, the the mother had asked, can I just hold the girl one more time? Can I hold Anna one more time? So I went to the funeral director, and he said yes. He said, you probably ought to be there with her. So I kind of stood off to the side a little bit, but he placed that lifeless body into the arms of a grieving mother. Can I tell you... Man, I, I I wish at that point, you know, you could you could bring a resuscitation and do a miracle. But the only thing you could do at that point was just feel pain and cry with her. Jesus knows our struggles and he feels our pain. When we go through the challenges of life, we know and understand and recognize we never shed a tear without his eye on us. We never go through grief or anxiety or fear without his hand being right there with us. He does not cast us aside when we are hurting, but he draws us close. The Lord saw her and had deep compassion, splunk nizomai, down deep in his gut. He was feeling compassion for her life. He feels Our pain. Then Jesus says, don't weep. (laughs) We would think at this point, you tell somebody at a funeral, quit crying. That would be very uncompassionate. That would be very uncaring. That would be very callous to say something like that. But instead, what we find is Jesus is offering words of hope. When he says, don't weep, he is saying, look, something's going to happen here. Something's going to change in this circumstance and in this situation. So Jesus speaks words of hope. Jesus is here and Jesus is watching. And the third thing that we find is that Jesus is Here working. Jesus is here working. He tells her, don't weep. And then notice what happens. As we look in verse number 14, it says that he came up and he touched the open coffin. First thing is Jesus drew closely. You know, sometimes when people are hurting, we, we, we don't go out of our way to try to talk to them. We think, oh man, we don't want to bring anything up. We don't know what to say. And so sometimes it's like, it's just easier to kind of move to the other side. It's easier not to say anything. It's easier not to get in this uncomfortable position. It's easier just to, to pass by. But instead, Jesus draws close. Now listen, this is not, this is not funeral etiquette. It is not funeral etiquette for Jesus to draw close. And then Jesus touches compassionately the, the the coffin. This, again, he's breaking all funeral protocol. He's not to touch the unclean. He is not to touch a dead body. But Jesus, he draws close and he draws close to us in our hurt. He watches. It gives the picture. He saw, he felt, and now he is at work and he touches. And then Jesus speaks and he spoke powerfully. He said, young man, I tell you, get up. What words? Jesus speaks with great power. And he says, young man, get up. And then it tells us, the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Jesus gave him to his mother. He spoke powerfully. The young man stood up and began to speak. And then he gave graciously and gave him to his mother. It's interesting because this is just like First Kings 17. When the widow at Zarephath's son dies, it says that Elijah gave him to his mother. And now we find Jesus taking this young man and graciously offering him to his mother. Jesus is here and Jesus is watching and Jesus is working. And though we may not always experience that, that picture of resurrection, what we do know is that Jesus is at work. Because he not only gives us hope for earth, but he ultimately gives us hope for eternal life. See, the picture here is, is very interesting. You get a, a, a picture of two processions. You get procession number one of a funeral procession. And there you see a group mourning and weeping and wailing. And you see a son who is dead, who is destined to live. And then you see Jesus' procession. And you see a son who is alive but destined to die. Jesus would give life to this young man and give hope to this young man. But Jesus would ultimately be the one who would live and die for this young man and for us today. Because the Bible says that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture as we have disqualified ourselves from a perfect heaven with a perfect God because of things that we have thought or said or done Jesus says, look, I will take your punishment. I will bring forgiveness of sin. I will put you in a right relationship with God so that you can have hope, not just for life, but for eternity. Jesus is here at work. And tell. let me tell you, Jesus is at work in that he has already been the son who was alive and died and now rose again. And he offers us the free gift of eternal life. The Bible says that we have to believe, that we have to trust him alone as the only way Of salvation. But today he might be working in your heart and life. He's been watching you. He knows who's here. He knows what's going on in your life. He's brought you to this moment at this time to hear this message. Trust me. Trust me. Would you trust him? It's not about what what the pastor brings. It's it's not about what the church offers, but it is about Jesus. Will you trust him? So my question is, is have you met the son who was alive but destined to die but would live again so that he could provide life for us. How do we respond to something like this? How do we respond when we read something as powerful as this passage and and we look and we see who Jesus is and what he has done? Well, I think the scripture gives us some great insight on how we are to receive it. Notice how the people responded. Verse 15, the dead man sits up, begins to speak. Jesus gives him to his mother. It says verse number 16, then fear came upon everyone. Show reverence. Show reverence. Jesus has power over life and death. Jesus has power over all things. There ought to be a sense of fear and reverence and awe that you bring to the table when you recognize who. He is. Second, give glory to God. When the people saw this, it says that fear came on them and they glorified God. You give glory to God. You praise and honor and magnify what God has done. Let me tell you, if Jesus has saved you from your sin, you have experienced a greater work in your life than Jesus bringing someone back from the dead physically. You understand that? This guy is not still alive today. He died. He didn't live forever. But Jesus resuscitating this young man was an awesome work. But Jesus saving us is an eternal work. Give glory to God. And then it says, then they began to share Jesus, share Jesus freely, share him, tell others what he has done in your life. I wonder as you've been walking in the procession of your life, when have been those times when Jesus has stopped and said, I'm speaking to you today. I'm speaking to your heart today. You have a need in your life today. You need Christ today. If today is that day, and you know that that in your heart and life, you know that you've done things wrong, you've thought things or said things or done things that have disqualified you from a perfect heaven in the presence of a perfect God, then let me tell you, the one who lives and dies for sin and rose again wants to meet you personally and wants you to experience forgiveness and eternal life. Don't happen through going to church. Don't happen through giving money. Don't happen through being a good person. It happens through Jesus alone. And that's our message that we share. That the best gift and the greatest gift and the eternal gift of God is a free gift. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? And I want to ask you today, have you met this compassionate, Jesus he loves you he knows what's going on in your life today you might be all rough and tumble and think that you know you don't need Jesus cuz you're you're strong on your own it it don't take but one microscopic virus to change you forever you won't be as strong and mighty as you think It it could be just one second in your life that changes everything. But here, you can take and have a moment in your life that changes everything for eternity. Maybe today you need to cry out and say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you are God's son. And I know that I've sinned. And I believe that Jesus, you died on the cross for my sin and rose again. And Jesus, I need you to forgive me of sin and come into my life. Jesus, I turn from trusting self. I trust you alone. If that's you today, would you cry out to him and say, Lord Jesus, save me. Some of you may be believers today, and somewhere along the line, you've just lost or missed the compassion and strength and power that Jesus wants to work in your life. Maybe today you just need to come to him fresh and new and say, Lord, I just need you. I lay my life down before you. First Peter says that we can cast all of our cares upon him because he cares for us. Lord, would you take these next moments of reflection and invitation. God, would you move in Jesus' name.